Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have Jason Walthausen returning. Uh, I was on Facebook about a couple weeks ago, and I saw that he had channeled a new book that I found was really interesting and um, very pertinent to what's going on right now in the world, and so I asked him to come back and then talk about it. Thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me again. Um, so I guess I'll start again, um, for, for the listeners that didn't listen to the other episode, maybe a a brief, uh, overview of, uh, Ohm's law and how it it can, how it works in everything. Yeah, for sure. So basically I'm the Ohm's law guy. I've been uh, studying how Ohm's law of resistance is, is influencing every aspect of the common human experience. So basically, Ohm's formula shows the scenarios that uh, obligate you to act. Basically, if you look at it beyond basic electrical theory, there are, there are three components to Ohm's law. There's the resistance phase, the current phase, and the potential difference phase. And what Ohm didn't see, Ohm just figured out the mathematics of each of those phases. What he didn't see that my small group that I've uh, put together called SeniorThinkTank.ca, what he didn't see is is that there's actually a series of cause-effect result uh, pattern that is moving from one phase to the next. So I'll give you a, a little example just to get everybody caught up. If resistance is constant and current increases, potential difference must also increase. So what that means basically is is that if you encounter a problem and you have the ability to act, you have the potential to solve the problem. Make sense? Yes. Perfect. So the second that you act, you move from the first phase to the second phase, which is the current constant phase. By virtue of acting, you shift gears So if current is constant and resistance decreases, potential difference also must decrease. And also if current is constant and resistance increases, potential difference must increase. So what that means is that as soon as you act because of a problem, the more difficult the problem is, the longer you stay focused on it, the more your potential will be obligated to grow based on the nature of the problem itself. Got it. Got it? Mm -hmm. The more difficult the task, the more you're obligated to grow, assuming you can stay constantly focused on solving the problem. Got it. Self-evident. Yes. Completely self-evident. The second that your potential increases to the equal amount of the problem or greater, you switch gears again to the potential phase. And in the potential phase, if potential is constant and current increases, resistance decreases. Yes. So as soon as you are stronger than the problem, your potential has a new level of potential has been established. And then the more you focus your energy on the problem, the quicker the problem is overcome. Right. But also in the potential phase, if if potential is constant and current decreases, resistance increases. So if you stop focusing your energy on the problem, the, uh, 
regardless of how much your potential of how much potential you've established, if the resistance comes creeping back up and mm-hmm. overwhelms the potential that you have created, you drop back down to the resistance phase where resistance is constant and the whole process repeats itself. Which is like human nature. Exactly. Yeah. We, we work really hard to get something and then we don't maintain it and then wonder why we lose it. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. <laughs> Relationships are a great example of this. So I've spent 20 years basically showing how this pattern is flowing through everything because basically the philosophy is if the entire universe is energy and matter is just concentrated energy, then the law of energy must be governing everything. That's what started this whole process. What we found along the way though, is that every ancient civilization starts with this same premise that there has to be a first principle that everything is emanating from. And each culture has a different name for it. Uh, In India, they call it Brahman, which is the ultimate reality, or also they call it the causeless cause. And the ancient Greeks called it Logos, the divine animating principle. Mm -hmm. So what we believe is that this expanded understanding of Ohm's law is actually the first principle that is determining all cause effect result through everything. And we've applied it to 40 different fields of study over the last 20 years. That's a lot. It's a lot. We've been busy. Now it's time to start sharing it. And we're, we're, we're getting great feedback. It's, uh, it's something that on one hand is self-evident. There are two kinds of people. They're the kind of people that go, well, that's just obvious. You're an idiot. And then there's the people that go, I think you might actually have figured something out here. Right, And we're just trying to figure out the balance between the two responses that we're getting because they're quite extreme. I think is a, I, I, I look at this when you, when I first read it and you told me about it, I, I viewed it as a philosophical, uh, you know, uh, um, argument. And from that point of view, it's flawless because it can't really be argued. And that's what the first principle is. It's the, it's the ultimate truth detector. Yeah. So there's how you think things work. Sorry, sorry. There's how you think things work. And if it doesn't fit into this formula, you're something about your assumption of how things are working is wrong. It's not the formula. You are wrong. Every time. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that's, that's a good point because it, it, well, because it's, it's, it can't be argued and if it doesn't fit into this and the person's wrong, I think that's one of the hardest things for people to do is actually admit that they're wrong. Well, and it's so self-evident that the question is, why aren't you following it? Yeah. Which is, was one of the questions on the group was that the, the person wrote into the group and said, uh, so what you're saying is that I start lots of little projects and I never see any of them through. And what you're saying is that because the resistance of the projects is too hard, so I give up. Is that mm-hmm. what you're saying? And I said, absolutely. That's 100% correct. But the bigger question you need to ask yourself is this, because there's many layers to this, is that why are you starting so many little projects to begin with? Is there a bigger resistance that you're trying to avoid that you're 
distracting yourself with little projects that you don't see yourself through because you're trying to find an excuse to not do the bigger one. If I can't do all these little ones, I'll never do the bigger one. That's a subconscious reaction yeah. to a big resistance that you're really avoiding by diving into a whole bunch of little projects that you don't finish either. People do that all the time. Everyone's doing it constantly. Yes. And then they blame circumstance usually. And really it's, you're not disciplined enough to overcome the resistance. And people don't like hearing that, but the truth is you become when potential increases in energy law, potential is also pressure and it's also motive force. They use many different names in energy law. So if you set too big a goal and you can't acclimatize to the increasing potential, which is also pressure, it's your inability to become pressurized that's the reason you quit. Because most people aim too high you have to do it incrementally over time, which was the first book, which all growth is a feedback loop. If current is constant and resistance increases, potential must increase. But when potential increases, resistance must also increase. And then potential increases and then resistance increases and then potential increases until eventually you're so pre you've got so much pressure on you that you either break through the resistance or you, you crash. When you were saying this, like I was sort of visualizing like something stretching, you know, the further you stretch something, the easier it'll be to stretch it even further the next time. Well, exactly. And, and they've been doing resistance training in athletics even before they knew what it was. That's the bow flex. Mm -hmm. The bow flex is the ultimate Ohm's law machine. You put on a, you put on the little weight, you pull it. And then eventually you add more weight to it. That's all resistance training. The key is, are you constantly using the machine? Are you constantly focusing your energy at the machine? And if you are, the more weight you add, the stronger you will become. Ohm's Law 101. <laughs> but they're not looking at it that way. And that's the big achievement of this. It is philosophical. It really is the merging of science and philosophy. And they've been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, all the way back to like Aristotle. Yeah. I have quotes from Aristotle basically saying that he's describing all of the, the phases of Ohm's law perfectly. And I've got it in one of the books. I won't uh, disgrace Aristotle by, by getting it wrong. But in one of the books, we actually have taken a, a verbatim quote from Aristotle's book, The Metaphysics. And what he is describing is exactly how Ohm's law is passing from one phase to another through the three phases and back again, except that they just don't know what the law is, but they're seeing it everywhere, mm -hmm. which is amazing. They've been looking for this forever. So maybe if he had electricity, he could have figured it out completely. Well, and even Ohm, in the preface of his book, he says in the preface of his book, the only reason he's applying it to the field of electricity is because it's the field with the least amount of competition for explanations. He was looking for something much bigger too. But he never really talked about that because he was just ridiculed. And it was 40 years after he published his book that it was actually acknowledged. Wow. 
yeah, he just got the frozen boot and was told to uh, go back to his job. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how uh, people get criticized. Almost everybody who comes out with a, a, a discovers a new truth is always criticized and, and condemned for it. Well, and that's actually part of it too. It's it's ridicule. This is the this is the phase. I think this is Schopenhauer. All new ideas are first ridiculed, then they are violently opposed, and then they are declared self-evident. So basically, the first, and even that's energy law. The first ridicule is the resistance to say, mm. if I can just attack this person and they go away, then they don't believe in their idea enough to stand up for it. So if they go away, we don't need to worry about it. That's resistance. The next, second one is action, violent opposition is if we actually attack, physically attack this person, will he still stand by what he believes? And then the third is the declaration of self-evidence, which is basically the minimizing of the achievement so that people who have a lot invested in their usually academic training don't have to be uh, threatened by it, just minimize the achievement and maybe people won't listen to them. Hmm. And that's like, I think that's Schopenhauer which is kind of interesting that even that is following it. It's interesting. I recently did an episode on um, how uh, hermetics influence science. And we talked a lot about um, Copernicus. You know, he was like one of the first people to start saying that uh, the earth may be revolving around the sun rather than the other way around. Yeah. And, and how much, um, you know, how he was criticized and beaten down and condemned and jailed and all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, you know, he was a heretic for that. And then there was two other guys that followed him who were also until like at some point, like it was Galileo that they finally said, oh, OK, all right, we'll, we'll finally say it's real. <laughs> Do you remember the James Burke series called Connections and the Day the Universe Changed from the BBC? No. They were like from the 70s and 80s. <clears throat> and he basically has a great observation. Assume for a second that the sun was revolving around the earth. Mm -hmm. To the people on the earth, it would have looked exactly the same. Yes. Which is amazing. So it's to have that vision to take yourself off the planet and see another way of seeing it in your mind that is his genius, right? That someone observed that this can work, this can look exactly like this and work a different way. And that's where kind of my friends that in doing this energy stuff too, they all say the same thing. What's crazy about what I've been doing is that I'm basically just doing thought experiments. And we had a huge whiteboard at one point where we would get together every Thursday night with some wine and uh, some uh, frosty barley sandwiches. And we would just put punch word combinations into the different aspects of the equation. What's another word for resistance? What's another word for current? What's another word for potential difference? And do they work if we run it through the pattern? They also call it the divine pattern because that's what the causeless cause is. The causeless cause is the first thing to appear after nothing before the first manifest thing has to be the rules 
And the causeless cause is determining the outcome of everything, but in itself cannot initiate any action. That's what the definition of the causeless cause is. And everything, every cause and effect in history leads back to the first event that triggered it all. And that's the creation of the rule itself. That's what the the ancients called the causeless cause. It's crazy. It's like you discovered God. Well, and that's basically, I, I do view it that way. God is not um, a person in the it's sky. the God equation. Yeah, God is a formula. And as crazy as that is the sound and as heretical as it would have been to, uh, I'd, be, I'd be up on the freaking funeral pyre tomorrow morning uh, 200 years ago. But I believe that. I believe that basically it, it is the God formula because it is determining current flow and expansion of potential, which is everything. I wonder what Einstein would say about this. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Actually, my mom would probably know because she worked for him. <laughs> she was oh, really? still alive. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes, see, my friends all say this too. An academic couldn't do what I've done here because they are confined to the rules of academia. Mm -hmm. And those rules are very specific. And it is, a, it's a club. And they want things to be a very certain way. And you have to, it's very limiting. The whole academic approach is, is for, all the, for all the good they do and all the necessity there is to have it, huge leap for, leaps forward don't typically come from there. Mm -hmm. They lumber along at their own pace. Yeah. The academic world lumbers along at its own pace because it's a machine for, for making money. So they don't want big changes to come quickly. So what about somebody like Tesla? He's doing the exact same thing, actually. I've got a whole bunch of, I've got a whole section in the one book about, um, I, I've I found basically one of Tesla's formulas and it's exactly Ohm's law. He just didn't apply Ohm's law to it. But his he describes the three different phases too. He actually drew a he he created this actual like drawing of how things are working. Um, but he didn't equate it to Ohm's law, which is fascinating because he was Tesla. But he was doing all these thought experiments too, and he saw this pattern as well, and he actually drew it. I found it in one of his books. I found so this stuff everywhere. Hmm. I wonder if Edison caught on to it. I don't know. If he did, he would have called it his own. How do we get rid of this <laughs> Ohm guy from the history books? This is mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so how do we, like, like the, the, when I read it, you know, when we, you wrote one thing that spurred your most recent writing was with what's happening in the stock market with the games, GameStop. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I thought that was fascinating. Can, can you give a, my listeners a little it, overview on that one? Just between us real quick, did, did it make sense what you read? It made perfect sense. I think you figured out the market, honestly. Perfect. So basically, there's a guy, that, the little book that I wrote is called A Special Report, Why the World is Beginning to Spiral. And basically, for the people who did, didn't listen to the first podcast, basically what I do is I go into 
a deep meditative state. And at which point I basically just start applying this formula to different things. And the book that you're, that you read, we, we call it channeling, but it's not really channeling. It's just clearing yourself of all, just stilling the mind to the point where you can enter a higher consciousness, right. which is basically what all meditation is. Um, I've just been doing it for so long that I can kind of come in and out of it with relative ease. But that book that you read was written in 13 hours in it's one incredible. session. I was woke up inspired after the GameStop incident. I woke up at 5 a.m. and I was done by 6 p.m. that day. 13 hours wrote that book. <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um, but basically, the book is about Ohm, a guy named R.N. Elliott, and Marshall McLuhan. And each of these three people have had a profound effect on either philosophy or economics. R.N. Elliott basically created the wave principle during the Great Depression. He didn't really write about it till like 1938, I think it was, he was when he finally published it. But after the Great Depression, people needed to figure out why that happened. And R.N. Elliott, uh, saw this pattern to the behavior of how the stocks were working. And this is a incredible oversimplification that will get me crucified by economics, but this is <laughs> by economists, but this is basically how it works. A negative circumstance inspires the adaptable to act. So you have a problem, which is a resistance and you are forced to act and your potential increases. So that's the, goes up like a little rocket ship and the person takes their idea, whether it's an invention or a philosophy or whatever it is, and they run as far as they can with it and they push it as far as they can with all of the resources that they have available to them. And it usually draws a few people in that come and help along the way, but they're still pretty limited because there's so few of them and their resources are limited. This typically consumes about the first 10% of the people that will, in the whole history of the product, will use the product the first 10% are the first leg up. Mm -hmm. As their resources start to dwindle, the wave starts to collapse. But all of the activity that they create draws a whole bunch of attention to them. So on the second leg of the, of the journey of the product or the invention, 60% of the people that are going to use the product get involved. And basically, the second that you have an idea and you start failing, Everyone assumes it's a free for all and they can modify it slightly, claim it as their own and try and push it further. The perfect example of this is the introduction of the home computer to every house. Right. The first 10% is Jobs and Wozniak building one in a wood in their garage. And you got the big boys, IBM, they push it as far as they can. And then after that, Bill Gates comes along and you've got the Microsofts and the Dells and the HPs and everything. That's the set. That's the next 60% of the leg. When that starts peaking, you, it starts to wane again. And when that starts happening, so you got the first 10% that started, you got the next 60% who couldn't have come up with it on their own, but they jump on the bandwagon. When that starts waning, the final 30% all dive on board out of fear of missing out. When that third, when that last 30%, when the potential of that becomes exhausted, that's when the crash occurs. And when the crash occurs, it drops back down to around the point 
where the first 10% left off. Right. Because in, in the 60% leg is when you have all the job creations. Mm -hmm. You have a, a computer store on every corner. That's all the growth and the activity that gets unleashed. But eventually, all you need is replacement units. It's that race to get a computer in every house, as the example, that creates huge amounts of jobs, all these different things. And then when it finally crashes, the jobs get lost or drastically minimized. And then that creates the next negative circumstance that the adaptable are obligated to act again, which starts the whole wave over again. The cycle. <laughs> Reminds me of like Blockbuster. <laughs> exactly. The little town that I grew in at the peak had nine places that you could rent movies in nine video stores in a town of 36,000. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Well, a video store is the perfect example. Yeah. So anyway, RN Elliot saw this wave pattern. What he was really observing is Ohm's law is the expanded version of Ohm's law. Um, but he spent basically the rest of his life trying to apply that to basically the common human experience. And I had kind of forgotten that until I kind of channeled this book. And then I started looking into him again. Ba basically, we have finished R.N. Elliott's work, which as crazy as that sounds, that's kind of what we've already done by applying it to 40 different fields of study. And he applied it to a lot of different things too, but he didn't have the formula. Uh -huh. He just has the observation of how it's working, but he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the blueprint, the same kind of blueprint that we've created. Wow. So the second guy that we wanted to talk about, because that's basically how the stocks work. And they've been doing uh, wave principle, Elliot, uh, Elliot wave principle seminars ever since the Great Depression on how to use the Elliot wave to master the stock market and all these different schemes to try and teach people how to use it to become masters of the stock market. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's very complicated because the Elliot wave works like a fractal. Mm -hmm. So no matter how far you zoom into any leg of it, it appears the same, mm -hmm. which makes it very difficult to assess which leg of a stock, which leg is a stock actually at. Right. Is it in the 10%, the 60%, or the final 30%? Because if it's in the final 30%, you probably don't want to be buying because the whole goal is to buy low, sell high. If you're buying in the last 30%, you're buying high. And it's probably going to crash. But if you plan in advance and you say, okay, this is how many people I have at 100% for the whole market, you could probably calculate the whole process in advance. Except that you don't actually know how the 100% depends on <clears throat> the, uh, the, the, how many people the product appeals to. So 100% is not the total population. The 100% is how many people over the course of the product's existence are going to buy it. And you don't know that. That's why it gets tricky. Hmm. I guess in some cases, like, like we, like with, like with, say for like, um, something that everybody needs. Like the, let's say like the first guy who invented shoes, all he would have really needed to do is know how many people there are. 
Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Or, or, or society's or become so diverse with, yeah. Or when he invented the car, they probably looked at like how many households would you have? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's what actuaries do, right? They're the people that are trying to figure out what is the actual potential of this idea. And they, they try and create budgets around all of that. It's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's fascinating stuff. RN Elliott was a, was a, was a genius. I would have loved to have been able to show him the simplicity of the formula that we're using to come to, to get the same result. There's so many people through history I would love to be able to meet and share this with. Right. But, so the other one, okay, let, let's go back for a second. So this is what happened with GameStop and RN Elliott. So GameStop, this group on Reddit, created a group with 2 million users. So the 2 million users basically figured out that um, the big hedge funds were shorting stocks and i'm not going to get into what shorting is and all that stuff because it's not it's actually it's not even relevant when i explain it so what this two million people on the reddit group did was they all decided let's all buy these shares and we're going to try and screw this other guy in the process they are the first 10 percent of the leg when 2 million people all on the same day start buying the same share, that is the first 10%. And all they have to do is get to the point where they maximize. And they, they were, I think they were doing it with like, they each only had to spend like $300. Mm -hmm. So when 2 million people spend $300 on the same share, it goes up. What happens is, is when their potential gets starts maxing out and it starts to wane that's when the spotlight goes on this stock and then then the 60 percent of the people which are all the rest of the market's greed mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with the reddit group they start driving it up to the moon so as long as the people on the reddit group they can actually do this an infinite number of times they they were doing something too elaborate with the uh trying to get the short sellers Mm -hmm. because they were trying they had an axe to grind but the truth is when two million people each spend three hundred dollars they can do this to any low cost share so then it goes up and then by about an hour later the 60 percent of the market sees this thing going up like a rocket ship and they all dive in as long as those reddit people all are not greedy and they all sell in the 60 percent leg of it when the last leg gets tripped in with all the panic buying, they're long gone. The 2 million people from the Reddit group, should, none of them should have lost a dime. They just didn't, if they do, they don't know what the Elliott wave is. Right. They just need to have enough activity to trigger the market's reaction, which is the greed of the market will drive it from 10% to 70%. And the last 30% is just panic buying because everyone thinks they're going to miss out. Those are the people that all end up holding the bag at the end. But if you have 2 million people that you can say on this day, we will all buy this $1 share. They will trigger this every time because that's just what the market does. <laughs> now what's scary 
is that you have a com- country like China. What can a country like China do when all of their citizens are told simultaneously what shares to buy? They did this with 2 million users, and that group has now become 8 million users. And look at the chaos that they created just because they unleashed natural law. And that's what hermetic philosophy talks about all the time. You have to be careful the spells you cast because you can unleash all kinds of negative consequence upon yourself that you are completely unaware of. (laughs) And that's what hermetic philosophy is always warning about. What they are is they're Mickey Mouse, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. They have a magic wand and they made it fire, but they have no clue the potential of what they're doing, but they're going to figure it out fast. Which brings us to Marshall McLuhan. Was that a good segue or what? Perfect. (laughs) So Marshall McLuhan is famous for his saying, the medium is the message. And he was on all the talk shows and everything. He's a Canadian, by the way, proud Canadian. He, uh, he basically had this observation in the late 50s, early 60s that basically said within two decades, everyone is going to have a little device on their hand, in their hand that they will be able to put a cartridge in and they'll be able to view whatever content they want whenever they want to view it, which is basically the Sony Walkman and the portable television mm-hmm. and portable radio. So what his observation was is that in all throughout all of history there's been this thing called the tribal drum and the tribal drum is in the center of every village in ancient cultures and if the drum beats a certain way the people in the fields know that the village is under attack and if it beats another way they know that a baby's been born and that's broadcasting in modern society the tribal drum in his time was the television the newspaper the radio and the movie theater and what he said is that when these devices come these four institutions are going to start losing their power because they are each basically broadcasting a similar message, telling everyone in society the direction to keep rowing, keep moving in this direction, because there's a coordinated effort between each of those institutions to to keep the message consistent. But as soon as people have access to these devices and they start to self-program, society as a whole is going to start self-programming. And then we're going to have a major social event. And the pinnacle of his observation is the smartphone. (laughs) All of this has happened since the creation of the smartphone. Because things like Facebook are allowing little tribes. And that's what he said. Everyone will subdivide into little tribes based on their interests. Yeah, it has happened. Oh, it's Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement this reddit group now this is just the beginning of a major social upheaval and it cannot be stopped because all birds of a feather will flock together and facebook allows them to find each other no matter how misguided they are no matter how ill-informed they are they are all emotionally driven because none of them have the first principle as a guide they are if people knew how energy actually works then they could make more informed decisions, but instead it is all just emotionally driven. It's terrifying. 
That almost explains what happened at the White House. Or exactly. at the White House, the, the Capitol. It's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's all these exactly. people with the same interest and huh. and all they gotta do is join a Facebook group or another group or a Reddit group or an Instagram group. They're everywhere. There are so many of these groups forming so quickly now that they cannot all be monitored. It's spreading so fast. It is a virus. And McLuhan saw it as clear as day. That's what the medium is. The message is basically what this is how McLuhan's philosophy works. And it's following energy law too. McLuhan and R.N. Elliott were both observing Ohm's laws, the expanded understanding of Ohm's law. They just didn't know what it was, but they just saw the same pattern. McLuhan's works like this. The resistance is the cold. If you have a constant, if you live in a constant cold environment, because we are Canada and we have six months of crappy, <laughs> if you do, if you do not think of a way to overcome the cold and take that action, you, you, you don't have the potential to overcome the cold. So he, his example is the gloves. So if you're faced with constant cold and you can think to create gloves, then your activity will increase because you can do things in the cold. As soon as you can do things in the cold, you move to the current phase. And the better the gloves are, the more cold they can keep out. That's a greater potential. The second that you have established the gloves, if the cold increases to the point where the gloves are no longer effective, you stop acting outside. This is Ohm's law. Mm -hmm. If potential is constant and resistance increases, current decreases. You have the gloves, but it still gets colder than the gloves can endure. You stop going outside. This is Ohm's law. So McLuhan saw another thing. The medium is the message because the gloves become an extension of you. Your whole identity becomes dependent on the gloves existing because the more activity you can do because of the gloves becomes an entitlement. So the second that you have a circumstance where the gloves are either gone or the gloves don't work, <laughs> you perceive this as an attack on your identity. That's kind of like what happened in Texas. <laughs> recently. Bingo. Right? You think that you are due all these things when really it is because of this thing we've created that has modified your behavior. Your behavior is modified. That's why the medium is the message. The medium itself determines the activity generated. And the activity generated becomes a habit. And the habit becomes your identity. And you lose that ability to do that. And you have a mental breakdown. Amazing that he saw that in like 1960. Uh, he sure is. They've been trying, and that explanation, that is the simplest explanation of Marshall McLuhan you will ever hear anyway, because his book is like 600 pages of crazy town, because he was also like a poet, and he was a he was an academic, and it's never stated that clearly anywhere. Like, you will smash your head against the wall trying to read that stuff. <laughs> well, I'm glad I have you to explain it to me. But it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Again, it's, you can't argue it. 
yeah so he basically said that this is where the problem lies as soon as we're all so identified with the conductive mediums that are allowing us to interact with other things it operates under the 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 the, the, the the belief that there's always going to be available the gloves or a better version of them. So he uses the example of the ox and the plow. The ox and the plow gets replaced by the tractor and the plow. Mm-hmm. But one day, if there's no more fuel to fuel the tractor, does anyone know how to use an ox and plow? And he said, in, in, in most cases, the ox, and, the ox plow won't even exist anymore because it would have been melted down for scrap decades earlier. It all puts us into a precarious situation where we always believe things will get better. What happens in the event of a catastrophe where they don't get better? Mm. So do you think, like, do you you think that we should always have a contingency then? In case one, in case one thing has a failure, you have a, a, a more primitive backup that's going to work. That's why we have the Amish and the Mennonites. They are the contingency plan. That's why they're allowed to operate under religious freedoms to do all the things that they do that no one else would ever get a permit to do. They are the contingency plan. Hmm. Which is wild. That is wild. (laughs) That is crazy. That's just my belief, but there are people out there that are allowed to operate in these primitive arenas still for a reason. Hmm. Makes it's all me wanna, fascinating ma- stuff. It makes me want to go back to uh, maybe being a bush person. Well, and the thing is, is that you can't become so overwhelmed by it. You just have to be be aware, I think, why McLuhan is important is because as soon as you understand how that works, you need to start observing how your behavior is being modified by the tools you use. Because if you can do that, you reach a new level of honesty with yourself and who you are and how you're being manipulated. Because we are all being manipulated all the time. And it's not a conspiracy. It's an unintended consequence of the creation of these things and unleashing them on the general public with very little understanding as to the true psychology behind what they're doing. Hmm. It's good stuff. It is good. But it's also but it's also a little scary. Like how do we I mean, it's like eventually we're just going to destroy ourselves with this. Oh, absolutely. And I wonder if if there's a way of to prevent it by knowing Ohm's law, knowing how it's going to play out. Is there a way to use it instead of use it in a negative way or it's going to destroy us because we're ignorant to it to use it in a positive way where it can elevate us? I believe personally that I have a two word answer that solves every problem on this planet and it's personal responsibility. When, if you can learn the law, if you can learn the first principle and really apply it to your life and take personal responsibility for what you're doing, personally responsible people don't rape, they don't murder, they don't rob, they don't litter. 
personal responsibility won't allow corporations to dump microplastics in the ocean. But the only way that you can actually reach that, and it won't, I, I don't believe it'll happen because we're two base animals still. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, once you understand why you're doing what you're doing, it becomes a little bit harder to find the excuses that it's someone else's fault because there is the things that you can do and that you we're all responsible to maintain our existences. But people just seem to not consider that, you know what, what are you doing to make your, your own personal life better? You don't have to change the world, change your own life. If enough people were doing that, it's uh, it's the start of something. I believe we're on the, I believe we're on the verge of a major catastrophe, probably economic, and the other side of it will be more personal responsibility. There are too many people that have borrowed too much money that they're never going to be able to pay back, and that's all going to come home to roost, especially with this virus in the mm. mix. There's going to be some serious economic fallout here. Do you think we'll just return to regular trade? I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I mean, trade is really the only fair system because that's an equal exchange of energy. Yeah, yeah. Where money's an unequal exchange of energy, so therefore it was bound to collapse from the very beginning. And every according economic to Ohm's system law, has. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, like according to Ohm's law, like like the mon- our monetary system was designed to collapse from the very beginning. Well, eventually the potential will be tapped out. Yeah. Because really, fiat currency is a confidence game. It's how many people believe in it and agree to use it. It's not real. There's nothing real about money. It's a control mechanism. It's a medium of exchange first because we need something that's easier to, to, to exchange goods with, but it's also a control mechanism, hugely. So, but they, every fiat currency collapses eventually because people lose confidence in it. When America is printing like $1.8 trillion uh, and just basically giving it to the stock market, it's, like how how much longer before either hyperinflation kicks in, or uh, or like like how many times can you do that? As my friend says, you can do it as many times as people will keep buying into it. Hmm. It is a Someone scary. Told- it is a oh, scary sorry. prospect. Somebody told me that if you take all of the money that has been created since the creation of the Federal Reserve, since, what is it, 17-something? Is it, no, that's, that's not, I can't remember when it was. Yeah, anyway, they said that if we take all of the money that America has created since the creation of America, 70% of it was created in the last 12 months. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, Uh but wow. If that's true, wow. So, so if that is true in the Ohm's law formula, 
after that, there's nowhere to go but down. Well, yeah, that's the that would be the Elliott Wave version of it. Yeah, this is the panic. This is the panic house buying. This is the this is that last thirty percent that are afraid that they're going to miss out. They are all of the people diving into the stock market because they have no understanding of how any of it works. They're just panic buying now because they don't know what's going on with their jobs. They don't know. There's just so much uncertainty right now. The good thing is, is this though, and this is the positive. I'll put the positive spin on it. There's two things that are great about uneducated people getting into the stock market. The first one is that it teaches you very quickly that you're not always right. Which is good. Yeah. People need to learn that. Um, and the second thing that it teaches you is that, um, how do I say it? I'll have to come back to that one. I'll have to, I'll have to come back to that one. Sorry, I lost my train. That's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, one yeah. of the things that, 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 you know, um, you know, that, that, that got me about the whole Reddit thing is, uh, them going head to head with the hedge funds because I I think hedge funds are something that should have never been allowed to happen. Oh, it's completely illegal. There's you know, no way that that sh- you can't you can't profit from loss. This is insanity. Yeah. Oh, I, I know what it is. The second thing is this: all of the when you get a whole generation of people that are that are now playing with the stock market like it's a video game because that's basically what's happening on the McLuhan front is that. All these Reddit people are most, for the most part, younger people that have been raised on video games and they've turned the stock market into a video game. What will happen over time, though, is that as these people start playing with this, it is the beginning of them taking personal responsibility for their financial well-being. And that's a good thing. There's going to be a lot of chaos, but you go a couple generations down the line with this. And who would ever go to their bank manager for advice on stocks? That's what they, the system should be very afraid of. Because the whole race to the bottom, which is capitalism, is who can do it for the least amount of profit and survive. And they have been fleecing the general public on commissions since the creation of the stock market. If you want to play, then someone has to get paid whether you win or lose, every time you sell, someone gets a commission. Right. And once these apps come along that are basically doing it for like a flat annual fee, they are going to be shaken to their foundation and it will take a couple generations, but that will be the beginning of the personal responsibility age, taking responsibility for your own financial well-being. And that's good. Yeah. Yeah, it it is good, because I think too, you know, when as far as the stock market goes, I was very uneducated about it. I I knew nothing about it until until it crashed with that whole uh, AIG thing. Yeah, and then I was like, you know, I started research because I didn't. I wanted to understand what it was that happened, and, and that's when I first discovered what hedge funds are. And, and, and my first thought was like, how can this even be allowed? This is criminal, you know. It's it, it, it is it's only there for 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 the rich, 
ordinary people can't invest in it. And, 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 and the whole scheme is to manipulate the market. Incredible. But my favorite one is Enron. Mm-hmm. People forget about Enron, but it's awesome. Did you ever see Enron, the smartest guys in the room, that documentary? No. You have to watch this. I've watched it like 10 times. I love it. There's a thing in there that they explain. It's called mark-to-market accounting. And basically what mark-to-market accounting is, is you can actually get approval from the government to log profits of future sales based on the potential of an idea. Oh. And they joke in it. They actually created a video an internal video that they show in the documentary where they're making fun of the government for allowing them to do this. They call it hypothetical future value. Oh yeah. And this is actually, there are some concerns about things like Tesla. How can Tesla, the car company that makes like a hundred thousand cars a year be worth more than Nissan who makes 14 million cars a year. <laughs> It's because they've allowed him mark-to-market accounting. It's hypothetical future value. It's ridiculous. His his stock went from $80 to $800. That is called hypothetical future value. That is not real profit. And maybe it will get there someday, but there is something really... There's something big going on there. That bubble will burst. You can't go from $80 to $800 and think it's not a bubble. Right. But I'm not a stock market guy. I'm an energy law guy. It's all the same thing. Stock market's an exchange. Well, money is an exchange of energy. Well, and what's fascinating about the Reddit group thing is how fast that's going to spread. Because once they realize that they they just got to stop worrying about the short sellers and just pick the right strategic stock to do this, and they will unleash the market every time. They haven't figured this out yet. Because they got to axe to grind. Once they get beyond that emotionalness of it, and they start applying the actual law to it without emotion, they will be a force to be reckoned with. But they're young and they're impulsive and they got an axe to grind. Mm -hmm. That'll pass. And how many more? But but, but, but somebody's going to pick up on this. You know, somebody's going to connect this with what some of the work that you're doing. And somebody's going to go have an aha. I'm like, I got this. Now I got the formula. Oh, exactly. And then that formula is going to (laughs) spread. It's going to become unstoppable. Well, exactly. Well, that's why we've been saying on our research, basically, the first principle, our expanded version of Ohm's law, is a virus. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And once you see it, you will see it in everything all the time. And it kind of, uh, it's kind of cool. But in a way, you kind of, it kind of messes you up. But not in a bad way. It's just that it's a truth detector. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can't uh, you can't unsee it once you once you have your aha moment from reading the materials in the group. 
like you're you're starting to see it you will see it one day in something that you wouldn't have thought it in and you will have your aha moment and you will never unsee it because you have allowed the virus into your mind if you've read that book and you actually understand 10 percent of what that book says you've accepted the virus yeah because it's a pattern i'm fascinated by this i'm amazed by it because I truly believe that you're, you're, you're correct. And it, it does, it blows my mind. And one of the things I wonder, like, you know, unless, you know, one of the things that we talk about, like, is giving it to everybody. I wonder if this is why we've had secret societies. Absolutely. Is because they, they've had this knowledge. Maybe they didn't know what it was, but they knew. And he said, well, we just can't let this go rampant. So we're going to just allow certain people that we feel are responsible enough to have this knowledge have it. And then that's what created like all these secret hermetic societies. That's exactly what they are. My favorite one is the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. Right? The whole concept of the Philosopher's Stone is if you can figure out this magical formula, you can turn lead into gold. Well, that's what they tell the general public. But what the masters know is, is that you are the gold mm -hmm. and you have to, that's what alchemy is. It has nothing to do with metallurgy, although it became that too. People completely underestimate the influence hermetic philosophy is, and alchemy has had on the creation of the pharmaceutical industry, metallurgy, all of it was inspired by this idea that you, you are the gold. And I've got, I've got some pretty old books from like the 1500s where they actually say in it that it's physics. The philosopher's stone is physics. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it has nothing to do with gold. It has to do with you are the gold. Can you transform yourself? Yes. But to do that, you need the formula which we talked about last time too, William Walker Atkinson was the closest one that I found to um, figuring it out, which was in the, the early eight, the early 1900s, eight, late 1800s, early 1900s. And he wrote the Cabalion, which we talked about too. Mm -hmm. And you remember how we were saying the Cabalion three initiates? Yes. And how the three initiates aren't people. Right. If you look at the first editions of the, Cabalion, it does not say by the three initiates. It says the Cabalion three initiates. It's not by the three initiates. It's three initiates as a secondary title. Mm -hmm. And I believe the three initiates are consciousness, motion, and substance, which is hermetic philosophy in its simplest form is the law is above all else. Consciousness, motion, and substance are infinite under the law as above, so below, as below, so above, from one, no many. That's Atkinson's whole summation of hermetic philosophy in a single statement. And the from one, no many is the law. And he even calls it the law. He doesn't know what the law is, but he knows that it's consciousness, which mm -hmm. is motive force, motion, which is current, and matter, which is resistance, substance, or matter. 
It's brilliant. Wild. It's wild. Not too many people would have known what Ohm's Law was in 1900. No. But 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 but, but it is something that that obviously has been observed for a very long time. Oh yeah, like I say, going back to Aristotle and yeah. even further back. Yeah, e- Egypt. I believe every maybe even Samaria. I, oh, absolutely. The Tablet of Shamash or Shamash, I call it Shamash. The Tablet of Shamash is the most accurate uh description of ohm's law i've ever seen and i actually made a movie about that it's called uh the tablet of shamash ancient knowledge for a modern world did i send you the link to that i don't think so so the tablet of shamash is this ancient ancient artifact that they found that they've spent tons of time trying to figure out what it actually means because it's this crazy picture the picture is perfectly describing how a circuit works, but not like an electrical circuit. It's how energy flow is created. And I wrote this book. It's like a 350 page analysis of this single image that shows all the different levels of meaning that are hidden into it. It, it, it unfolds like a, the layers of an onion. And the deeper you go into the different aspects of the picture, the more you see energy law flowing through it which is fascinating because it's from like around 1700 BC. Hmm. Crazy. But each of every, do you, do you every think, ancient, do you think oh, they figured, do you think they figured that out by simple observation? Or do you Absolutely. think, or do you think it's something maybe that's in like in our DNA code? Oh, I, I, yeah, I think that it's just the way things are. We always say it's all that physically is and all that can ever be. Every ancient religion starts with some version of the concept of the first principle. And then every story that happens after that concept, because they don't have the principle itself, every story of the Bible, of the Torah, in Islam, they're all attempts to explain what the first principle is through observations and these parables. Most of the stories, if you break them down into the first principle, once you know what the first principle is, all of the foundational stories of every major religion are an observation of that pattern. And I wrote a book about that too. (laughs) So, yeah, that was a crazy one. That that took a while. Like I say, (laughs) I've written like 16 books on this and I've just, I haven't actually just I'm just starting to release them now because I've been doing this for 20 years. Uh But uh, yeah, the religion one's pretty crazy. It's uh, the story of Moses is perfectly following the first principle. The story of Jesus is following the first principle. Um, In Egypt, the transformation of Thoth or Toth or whatever Mm -hmm. his name is, the the bird guy. Yeah. Um, Islam calls it something else. They all have, they all start with this concept that there is an underlying unchangeable reality beneath all things, but they don't know what that reality mm-hmm. is. And then every story is an attempt to explain an observation of it. They forgot what they were 
trying to observe in the first place because they abandoned the first principle itself because they didn't have the mathematics. Wow. So like in Taoism, it would be Tao. Yeah, it's... Or and, and Buddhism, Tao it would be emptiness or... Well, and Tao literally means the way or principle. Mm -hmm. And in Taoism, people um, know the yin-yang symbol. Yeah. But there's actually three. Yin-yang is the last one. It's harmony. It's mm -hmm. the established potential. But there's two other versions of the yin-yang symbol that are the resistance phase, the current phase, and it those symbols are even following how the energy law works. I'll send them to you. <laughs> yes. It just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah, it's it's wild. When I found that, I there's been so many aha moments for me in this where it's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, but without the primer, the law is the primer. And without it, you can't see it. But as soon as you have it, you can see it. Mm -hmm. Especially when I found everyone knows yin yang. Yeah. But how many people know that there's two other ones that look different? Yeah, I have to Just check that out. I didn't know. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. So how did you figure this all out? Like is, I say, is, this I, some, I, is this something that just came to you? Well, initially, yes, because I didn't know about meditation and I didn't know about any of that stuff. I didn't know about Kundalini and cosmic consciousness and all of these different things. I didn't know about any of that. And then I, I basically accidentally did that. Like I accidentally opened my third eye or whatever you call it. I did it by accident. Mm -hmm. I was doing unguided meditation for years and years and years. I didn't even know that that's what I was doing was meditating. I just entered into this stillness. And then I, I had one day like this flash. And in that instant, I wrote one page. And then it happened again. I, it's, I basically spent three years looking at this one page I wrote in this moment of intense light, mm -hmm. which was completely overwhelming. Um, and I spent three years trying to figure out what this one page actually means. And then I, it happened again. And I wrote 11 pages. Those 11 pages are the foundation of all of this. And I only showed it to two people mm -hmm. because I thought I was going crazy. Because I didn't know about meditation. I didn't know what I was doing. I just did it. So now what I do oh. is I listen to this piece of music that gets me mm -hmm. my brain still. Right, you and sent me that. it just floods out. You know, it's kind of funny. You're the third person <laughs> I talked to this week. That has had like an unintentional, accidental awakening. It's insane. I mean, what are, what are the chances of me talking to three people in one week? That's symmetry. <laughs> well, and what's amazing is, is that once, because I never talked about it for a long time. Because, and I think I even talked on the last, the last interview, like you're the first person that I've talked publicly about it because it's a very overwhelming thing. But it happens more often than you realize. Yes. Different yeah. degrees of intensity. One of the people that I interviewed this week wrote a book on um, like managing 
how to manage a Kundalini awakening because it can be so overwhelming that people don't know how to handle it and they feel like they're going crazy. So she wrote a, a book basically on on how to manage it. That's what happened to me. I went insane. And I don't mean like 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 a little insane. Mm-hmm. Like I the day it happened, I collapsed my entire life. I ended the relationship I was in. I lost my job. I ended up living in the the back room of my friend's recording studio for like a year. And I had a total See what happens is when when you enter this kundalini state, it's it's non-duality, it's oneness. Yeah. And what happens is the second you come back from it, your mind reactivates and you have all of the programming that is your whole life experience that is basically the robot that you are is running a program that is the sum total of all of your sensory inputs. And as soon as you come back from the state of oneness, that kicks back in and your ego immediately turns back on and says, well, I don't know what the hell that was, but I'm threatened by it because I'm the center of the universe, not whatever that thing was. Right. So then you have this whole attack of basically it's the shadow. Are you familiar with Jung and the concept of the shadow? Yes. Mm -hmm. So basically the shadow decides to potentially destroy you for the achievement of entering the light because the shadow keeps you in your base fight or flight mode so that you can do extraordinarily terrible things to survive if you have to. Right. Right. So my shadow kicked into overdrive and I went, I went crazy. But after a couple of years, I crawled back out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Like what motive, like when when you started crawling back out of it, what was that like for you? Like, like was uh, um, like one day you said, you know what? I got to get over this and figure out how to function. Um, Or was it like maybe like a second awakening where you're like, there's something, something happened to me. I had this experience and now I have to get this message out. Well, that's what led to the three years later when it, when it happened again, was me trying to replicate it and figure out what was it that I actually did there. So the first year after the event, I basically destroyed my entire life completely. And I had to rebuild it from scratch. Like I basically tried to starve myself to death. Wow. And um, like, I was like, like skin and bones, like starve yourself to death, like one meal a day for like a month and a half. And then I realized you're killing yourself. Like, what is it about this event that is so powerful that you need to kill yourself because this is not you. And then that's when you have this shadow experience where you actually see that part of you that is the darkest you can ever be. And you realize, well, that's not me either. So who am I? Because I had this light experience. I've, I've, I went the total polar opposite and dived as deep into the dark experience as I could as a result. Where's the middle ground? Which is what Buddha did too. I didn't know that at the time. 
That's what Buddha did. He starved himself to death. Well, that's what I'm thinking that, as, as as you're telling me this. I'm think, thinking about like Buddha. I'm thinking about like all these extreme yogi practices that you know to bring about this event. It almost makes me wonder, like, um, if if you had some kind of you know experiences in past lives that has carried over into this one. Well, it's it's strange because I didn't know anything about Buddha. But that whole aspect of the denigration of the body, I just naturally did that. Yeah. But I did it after the event, not to reach the event. Right. But then that led me to reaching the event again in a more controlled way that actually let me create 11 coherent pages, which have now turned into all these books. But... Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about that. It blew me away, actually, once I actually learned the story of Buddha. Because mm -hmm. so many aspects of that are things that I just kind of did. But I didn't know that they just happened. Especially the starvation thing. Do you think there's any past life influence on that, on you? That, that brought this about? or I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I think that... I don't know. Hmm. So many crazy parallels, though, in, in the experience that I've had with when you start looking at all these other different people, you just, you don't intentionally set out to do these things, but you realize through the process that there cannot be a resurrection without a crucifixion. Right. The whole Jesus story is, is Ohm's law to a T. So, there's the constant beating, which is the resistance phase. And then you have to, um, yeah. That's why the Passion of the Christ movie is so hard to watch, because that movie is really about the constant resistance that you need to overcome so that you can establish your true potential. And the true potential is Christ risen from the grave. It's... um. It's Ohm's law to a T. I never thought of it that way, but you're you're exactly right. Now that you bring it up, like, it's like you're just so right. Like when once you recognize it, you see it everywhere. Well, and that's why the Passion of the Christ is a fascinating film because people went and saw it and were horrified. This is basically just ninety minutes of torture porn, and then he walks out at the end, and uh, and uh, what the hell was that? What the hell did I just watch? But it was powerful. And the reason it's so powerful is because there's a fundamental truth to it. We all have a cross to bear. What is your cross? What have you chosen to bear? Because you are responsible. Basically, the story of Jesus is you have to stay focused on a single point, And that is the, the top of Calvary, where the cross must be laid. And you are responsible to carry it. And you must take all the beating that it takes to get there. And how much are you willing to sacrifice to achieve your goal? Because his goal in the story is a new world born. Well, that's what the death phase is. It's the shedding of your old self. The final, the final thing to be sacrificed is the you that started the journey. Because the you that started the journey must be shed like a skin 
so that the new you can emerge from the darkness into the light and rise up to the potential you have created. That's what that whole story is telling. Hmm. So maybe I should ditch my job and just focus on the fo- on the podcast. It's a delicate balance, right? It's a matter of can you survive to do that? Because the podcast will thrive as a result, but if you can't feed yourself, then that's a problem. Right. That's why I have my day job too. And I actually enjoy my day job now because I look at it very differently. I'll give you an example. I'm working in a warehouse and every once in a while, a huge shipping container will come that is not on pallets. And it has to be actually unloaded by hand, a whole shipping container. And everyone goes, oh, oh my God. I can't believe we got to do this again. And I go, hey, everybody, it's workout day. Let's do this thing. (laughs) Because the truth is the shipping container has to get emptied. And if you can look at it as a two-hour workout instead of an obstacle, if you can find the little benefit, positive thing in any activity, if you can find any positive, unintended thing, the doing of the task will become easier. I guarantee it every time. Hmm. Find an unintended good. If you can find that, any resistance can be overcome and you will have more energy on the other side of it because the whole time you're going, oh, oh my God, I can't believe we have to do this again. That's wasted energy. Right. Because it's not being productive towards anything. It's just being... It's, it's, like, it's, it's like having a leak. <laughs> It's a pressure release on a boiler. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Wow. You know, you really just told me what I really needed to hear today. Well, there you go. It's the system working again. Yeah. Just just, just, just remember. I needed that, that message really bad. Well, good. That's, that, that's the law, though. Just remember, the law is the law. You cannot cheat it. If you're going to dive deeper into what you're doing, it is your cross to bear. And you can only bear it. That's in in the Tablet of Shamash, which is the thing we were talking about. He In ancient Sumeria, they hold this thing called the ring and rod symbol. It's a circle with a line underneath it, which basically looks like Om, the Om symbol, by the way. It's the ring and the rod. On the Tablet of Shamash, it actually says what the ring and the rod actually is. And it's called the rod of dew. So the ring is the endless loop that your life is in. And the rod, which which goes along the bottom of it, is the discipline to break the cycle. So the ring and rod of dew is the gift of the gods. Utu and Inanna bring the ring and rod of dew to give to the humans as a gift. But the ring and rod of dew is not transferable. They can't give it to you. You have to earn it. So your life is an endless circle and unless you have the discipline to break the cycle. And that isn't written anywhere. That's from my assessment of rod of do. It's not the rod of sitting around thinking about doing. You got to do it. Amazing. So with, with Ohm's law, um, 
Does, does that pertain? How does that pertain to like life after death? That is a question that I am not prepared to even attempt to answer. I'll I, I have to I'll have to really think about that one. I'm just contemplating because because if everything is energy, life itself is to resistance. Then death would be. I don't know. If a circuit is broken and you put your multimeter across it, there is no resistance because right. it's open. That's how you you test an appliance mm -hmm. to see what part's broken. Right. So the body, the physical body is is um the reason you have resistance. Mm-hmm. The mental aspect of the equation is the motive force, which is the potential difference, which is mind. So when any resistance goes across a potential difference, the side effect is current. So current is the spiritual aspect of the equation. It is the divine animating principle. It is the reason we can move. It's the current mm -hmm. is being generated by the side effect. So I personally believe that we spiritually, our whole existence is a side effect. Consciousness is a side effect, which people don't want to hear. And I think personally that when the old ticker stops going, it's like having an open circuit on the, the broken part of your appliance. I, I think that when it, we're done, we're done. Hmm. But I could be wrong. I don't know. See, I almost look at it like in a different view where this is just part of the circuit. This is just a resistance part of the circuit. Once this is gone, I go to the next part of the circuit and just keep looping around. And that, that could very well be. Hmm. I personally believe like the whole concept of reincarnation is completely misinterpreted. I believe reincarnation goes back to the ring and rod of dew. Is your life an endless circle? And do you have the discipline to break the cycle? Because if you don't, you can live many lives in this one life and they can all be the same. If I look at, I'm 50 now, and there's a famous quote from, I think it was Muhammad Ali. If a man looks at the world at 50, the same way he looked at the world at 20, then he didn't live for 30 years. <laughs> it's a great quote. Because yeah. that's what reincarnation is. How many relationships are you going to have that fail for the same reason? How many jobs are you going to lose for the same reason? It's because you haven't been shown the formula and you're not taking responsibility for doing what the formula requires mm -hmm. so that you can establish a new potential and rise to the new world that you are responsible to maintain. Otherwise, that's reincarnation. You're just living the same loop over and over again from 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 till the day you die you can live a hundred lifetimes in this one lifetime it's just a it's just a cycle it's interesting because like in buddhism they call it like the wheel of samsara okay yeah and then the uh like in the wheel of samsara like like the dew 
would probably be like the point of enlightenment where you realize an absolute. Yep, so absolutely. And that's what the hermetic philosophy calls the first principle, the absolute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, the thing with the Buddha story too is, is that people forget that Buddha didn't want to come back. Right, who would? Yeah, at first he wanted to stay in that state for as long as possible. And he sat there for a long time before he realized he had a responsibility that came with this achievement to share it. But at first he didn't want to because he knew it was going to be constant resistance. But he took on that cross. That was his cross to bear. And he spent the rest of his life in poverty just teaching anyone who would listen. Hmm. which is interesting it is interesting. because at first he didn't want to come back <laughs> why would you wow we've covered which so I've, we've covered so sure. much <laughs> yeah it's fascinating it's all good stuff man i'm so glad that uh you've had a moment of symmetry in this uh this week and this if there is an an answer that you got from this then it's it's another step of I will put that as a feather in the cap of the formula. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Definitely said the right thing at the right time when I needed to hear it. Good. I, I'm, I'm glad that the group is slowly growing and people are actually engaging and they're asking the right questions. And if, uh, if anyone out there that listens to this wants more information, I'm sure you can put a link to the group on, on this podcast. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that, there's a, a power to this that if you're open to it, it will change your life. It's changed mine and it's changing people in the group. And it's for the better. It's time to stop wondering what the hell is going on and get the map. We've actually got a map that shows you where you are in the process as long as you're open enough to see it. And, and it's universal. And, and like you say, it can be seen everywhere. It can be seen in, in philosophies. It can be seen in religion. It can be seen in our everyday lives. It can be seen in physics. It's everywhere. Well, and that's what kind of blows my mind about this is that when I finished the religion book, I had another aha moment where it's like, this really is the merging of science, religion, and philosophy. If there is meant to be a one world religion on this planet, it has to be science-based but it also has to meet philosophical requirements and it has to harmonize religious stories. But this, this formula does do that. I can show you the key foundational story of every major religion and show you the pattern running through it. Incredible. You are definitely on to something. It's a, it's, it's a hell of a journey and I'm enjoying it. It's a, uh, I'm still learning when I what what I realized from doing that book about the, the stock market is that after 13 hours, I looked at it and I went, wow, the whole time I've been thinking that the formula is the potential I've established, but we don't just establish one potential. What I've done by spending all of these years writing is I have the ability to write a book in a day. And I can apply this to anything because that's the first time I attempted to apply it to current events mm -hmm. 
which my friends have been saying, you got to apply it to current events because that's just how you'll trend. I don't even know what trending means, by the way. But, <laughs> um, but what, what I realized after doing that was that the potential I've, the secondary potential I've established is the ability to do that. I just take that for granted, which is cool. So I'm going to try and do more of that. Look at things that are going on and figure out, because I can't apply this to anything. Yeah. I need to apply it to more. Yeah. I, I, I believe if, if there is a God formula, you have found it. Thank you. I, I think I have too. I have, I have not found a scenario where it doesn't apply to like things that actually matter, not big, crazy ideas that it's, it's so simple and elegant, which is what it has to be. It's complicated when, when you're learning it, but once you know it, it is extraordinarily simple, which it has to be. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what is the awesome. website? Um, the website is seniorthinktank.ca. And then there's another one called ohmslaw.ca. Ohmslaw.ca is the, the catalog of the encyclopedia that's been created, applying it to all the other different fields of study. And seniorthinktank.ca is the group that has done the work. And there's other versions of it. I basically created almost like a children's book version of it. It's called Overcoming the Path of Least Resistance. And then there's another children's book version called Realizing Your Potential. So both of those books are at seniorthinktank.ca along with the Tablet of Shamish book that I was describing. Um, there's books everywhere, like there's 16 of them. Mm -hmm. There's even Easter eggs hidden in the website with other books in them. Because <laughs> 19 years is a long time. Yeah. So all of this is working towards a program that I've created called ECAL, which is called Energy Calibration. So there's the final book, which is basically like the Bible of your life. I use Bible loosely, but it's basically showing you the step-by-step, -step, like to the minutia detail of how you're making every decision based on energy law. It was the hardest one to write, which is obviously why I wrote it last. Mm -hmm. um, that is the step-by-step -step guide. And it ends with basically a self-assessment program called Energy Ecal, Energy Calibration. And in that book, we've actually created a flow chart that works almost like a board game where you can punch any scenario into it and it will walk you step by step what you will be required to do to achieve the goal because every goal unfolds the same way it doesn't matter what it is the process to do it is the same regardless of the goal so we've actually created this like almost like a snakes and ladders game mm -hmm. flowchart where it literally asks you questions and then it tells you which way to go on this flowchart and if you get to the top you've realized your potential but that's called ECAL. That was a lot of fun. What happens when a person just gives up resistance completely? You just say, okay, I'm not going to resist anything anymore. 
and I'm just gonna bear myself to everything that, that the universe is gonna throw at me and take it. See, this is where I the two most overused and under misunderstood words in the entire English language are mm. resistance and potential. Because you've got all these things like the secret, you know, the law of attraction yeah, and the yeah. secret that basically just say, open your mind and stay focused on a goal mm. and the universe will conspire and it'll all come to you. Yeah, that's 50% correct. Mm -hmm. You have to voc focus on a goal. And if you're working towards a goal, things will come to you, but you have to do the work. They leave out the work part. The, the secret talks about two aspects of the equation. They leave out the work part. Right. So resistance has three roles based on what phase you're in. The first resistance is the resistance phase, and that's the resistance that obligates you to act just like the Elliott wave. It's the negative circumstance that obligates the adaptable to act. In this current phase, the it, resistance is what obligates you to grow. If you're focused constantly on a problem, the harder the problem is, the more your potential must increase as a result of solving the problem. And then the last one is once your potential is established, if resistance increases to a point that's greater than your, what you are capable of taking, you are crushed by it. So you need to understand, are you, is the resistance to motivate you? Is the resistance to grow or is it a resistance that you actually can't overcome? Hmm. But everyone just says, oh, go with the flow and everything will just work out. The only time that lower resistance is a positive is after you've established the potential. Because in the potential phase, once you establish constant potential, if current increases, resistance decreases. That's when decreased resistance is okay. You do not want to stop fighting if you do not have a solid foundation. Hmm. We all are obligated to build the foundation of our own lives. And if you give up before you build that foundation, you are meat for the grinder. And people don't want to hear that. Maybe that's why it's easier as we get older, because we've built that foundation. And as you get older, you understand what is not worth fighting over. Yeah. Because you're young and you're impulsive and, you know, a lot of ego is forming and someone just looks at you the wrong way and you want to go take a tire iron to his windshield. Well, that's called the 20s. That's not a, you know, you don't see many 50-year-olds acting that way. It's because over time, because we are having a common experience, we all learn this. What's amazing, when you talk to young people about the formula, they're like, this is genius. When you talk to old people, they go, yeah, there's nothing new there. Mm -hmm. Because you're forced to learn it no matter what. As long as you've lived, you've learned these lessons. That's true. Uh, I do think, you know, you know as, as we get older, I learn more to where do I want to direct my energy to? Exactly. Or, or or what resistances do I want to overcome? Because I was younger, I think I was trying to overcome resistances that were just didn't need to be bothered with to begin with. Absolutely. Because that's youth. 
And then as I've gotten older, I found things that were more meaningful, more well, that's productive. It. What, is, what, what are you investing your energy in? Yeah. And this is the McLuhan thing too, again, right? If you understand that all the tools you use are modifying your behavior, once you understand that, you better become more aware of what you're giving your focus to. Because you are changing as a result of, of interacting with your computer, with your phone, with your glasses, with your gloves, with your car. Your modification of your behavior is the only thing you have power over. And you have to understand how those modifications are happening because it's not a conspiracy. All of these people are just invent a product. They unleash it on the general public and then it's a free for all. <laughs> So you better understand what you're investing your focus in. You have to look at your focus as an investment in you because anything you touch with that focus is modifying your behavior. Amazing. It is. And important. Important oh, and often probably overlooked. Well, especially when you look at the GameStop group. These GameStop stock market thing is basically a whole generation turning the stock market into a video game. They are playing it like a video game that pays them. Mm -hmm. And what else would they do? They're the generation that grew up playing video games. So what did they do? It modified their behavior to turn something in the real world into a video game. <laughs> McLuhan 101. Yeah. Terrifying, though. It Terrifying. Is. There's going to be so much crazy that comes with this tribal. Everyone is going back into their little tribes, just like McLuhan said, because Facebook and other apps like that are allowing like-minded people to find each other. And they are just going to start doing whatever they feel entitled to. They're just going to start taking. And the system isn't going to know how to deal with that. It doesn't take much chaos for there to be chaos. If you look at the police services of any major city, it doesn't take a 2% increase in 911 calls for the police to be in chaos. Yeah. Terrifying. Especially with all the craziness going on in your country right now. Oh, yeah. Like, like, like got all it, it took very little for them to overthrow the capital. <laughs> You know. And that sent a message to the entire world that maybe America isn't as strong as they are portraying. Nobody's that's as dangerous. strong as they're portraying, probably. Well, and that's what's dangerous, right? It gives people ideas. And they're already organizing. It actually started with the Arab Spring. Mm -hmm. That's when the that was the first major McLuhan event where the device created the activity yeah it's yeah, an interesting, interesting it's an interesting time to live it's fascinating <laughs> it is fascinating well because i'm just seeing what i i know what i know and i see it everywhere and i'm seeing it everywhere now especially when you to think that a guy like R.N. Elliott and Marshall McLuhan and Ohm's Law, the, or sorry, George Simon Ohm, 
that they're all observing the exact same thing, but through their own mind, Mm -hmm. because we are all robots. We are a sensory input machine that creates a program that is us, which is cool. Yeah. But they're all seeing the same thing. They just don't know what it is. But they're all making the exact same observation, just running through the program that is Marshall McLuhan or R.N. Elliott or Ohm. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another fascinating thing. Just okay. to, to just, and then we'll probably get close to wrapping it up. I think, if that's okay. Yeah, it's your show. We can, you know, I know I'm not telling you when to shut it down, but um, did you know this? So when I tell people that Ohm intended this to be for something other than electricity they go well that's a pretty broad assumption based on a couple lines in the preface of his book but when Ohm got a leave of absence from his job to write his book of all of his experiments he moved in with his brother to do it and his brother's name was martin Ohm. Mm -hmm. okay So what would two brothers be talking about if one brother was working on this formula that he thought was the absolute or the whole that could be applied to everything? What would two brothers talk about? Because Martin Ohm actually created the term golden section for the golden ratio. So you've got the Fibonacci numbers Mm -hmm. and the golden ratio, and it's also called the golden section. Ohm's brother called it that. Because the golden ratio applies to everything mathematically. It's kind of like the pillar running through all reality is the golden ratio. Mm-hmm. The Fibonacci numbers like one, one, two, three, five. What are the chances that Ohm's brother is the guy who called it the golden section first? Hmm. They were talking about, those two brothers were talking about some pretty big concepts. I yeah. Yeah, the they had to be talking about more than electricity. Well, especially for his brother to be, I, and I didn't know that. I learned that on this journey too, is that because as soon as you get into the pattern, the divine pattern, the divine pattern concept, the first one you think of is the flower of life which is the circles that make up that pattern and the golden ratio. It's an ever repeating pattern is the golden ratio. Well, what are the chances that the ever repeating pattern of the golden ratio was named the golden section by Ohm's brother? It's incredible. Blew my mind. They were, they, they were talking about some pretty big stuff. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt they had more in mind. For sure. For sure. So, um, all good. So, before we wrap it up, uh, what were the websites again? Uh, ohmslaw.ca and seniorthinktank.ca. And the Facebook group is called The First Principle Ohm's Law of Life, The Divine Pattern. If you just search under Facebook for The First Principle Ohm's Law of Life, The Divine Pattern, you will find the group. And there are three books there that you can have for free by just by joining. And there's all kinds of basic lessons to teach you the fundamentals of how Ohm's law is applying to the common human experience. 
Awesome. And I will post those links to all your websites in the notes of this episode, too. So when my listeners are, are listening to this, they can click on the links and check them out. Excellent. I appreciate it. Well, this Any is, attention that we can get, the better. This is a mind-blowing episode. <laughs> Completely. Well, I'm, just go, I'm glad that it just it, it twigged you at the right time. It's amazing. I think it's going to hit a lot of people. I think. Well, there's a lot. What's amazing is how I'm basically recruiting for the group is I'm basically just going to other groups and just seeing what people are posting and then kind of just introducing myself based mm -hmm. on what they're saying. Because so many people, it's kind of like Fight Club. It's on the tip of everyone's tongue. They just don't know what to call it. Right. And with Elliot and McLuhan and Ulm, everyone is seeing this because it's everywhere they just don't know what it is and we can teach you what it is and how to benefit from it it's very empowering very maybe the most empowering thing there is it's it's all that physically is and all that can ever be <laughs> fantastic all right so thanks for being on tonight thanks for having me back yeah we're definitely gonna have to do this again I think absolutely. I think you're going to have to be a regular. I will. Uh, I will figure out another current event that we can apply it to, and we can try and figure out what this trending thing is. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for being on. And hang on one second, and I'm just going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. And it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.